politics. This week, a preview of coming attractions, in pursuit of fame, and a presidential snub. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. And Ed Tibbetts of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Ed. Morning, James. Thomas Nelson of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, a preview of coming attractions or distractions, as the case may be. President Donald Trump and presumptive frontrunner former Vice President Joe Biden were in Iowa this past week on the same day. Trump was trumpeting his promise made, promises kept of corn farmer for, for corn farmers and ethanol producers. He didn't stop there at a GOP fundraiser in West Des Moines later. He promised to do the decades of calamitous trade policies and reversing eight painful years of economic surrender. Given the president's trade policies and tariffs, some pork and soybean farmers might be longing for those days of calamity. Uh, Trump didn't ignore Biden. In remarks to reporters, he called the former vice president a loser that Barack Obama took off the trash heap. Ed, uh, the former vice president, was in your fair city where, according to reports, uh, he took the high road, uh, accusing Trump of setting a standard of crude language and embarrassing behavior and tearing down the guardrails of democracy, and he attacked the president's character, policies, and Twitter habits. Um, assuming Biden is the Democratic nominee and he's leading the field for the moment, is this what we should expect from a Trump-Biden general election campaign? Um, yeah, uh, if he's the nominee. Um, and, and I think we all know here that there's a long way to go uh, before that's decided. We've all seen people get toppled from the top of the heap, and we've seen candidates... Um, you know, um, who were only in single digits do very well in Iowa and go on to become contenders. But, you know, having said that, um, you know, if, if Biden is the nominee, yeah, I think this is, is what we'll see. Uh, Biden will continue arguing that Trump isn't suited for, for the office, that he's actually a threat. And, uh, uh, and, and you know, Trump will continue to do what, what he does, um, which is make campaigns very personal. Um, we saw it in you know, in the past, where he talked about Lion Ted, low energy jab, crooked Hillary. That's how he campaigns. It's very personal. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm struck by the idea that, you know, in the past, if you'd had a challenger like Biden, who said that a sitting president was an existential threat to America, uh, uh, that this would be a huge story. But, you know, in the age of Trump, where he always finds a way to be more outrageous, um, you know, uh, it, that's not really the case. That's sort of what what this campaign has become. Um, but I, but you know, the, one other thing I, I, one other point I'd make is that I do think that, you know, Biden needs to do more than just um, talk about Trump. He needs to find a way to generate excitement. And he's to do that. I think he's got to talk about some of his, his own ideas, what he'd do as president. But, uh, but by and large, yeah, I think you're right. I think that if this is a Biden Trump matchup, um, this is probably a lot of what we'd see. Regardless of who the Democratic nominee is, it seems like this probably will be Trump's approach to attack the person uh, repeatedly and continuously throughout the campaign. Does does responding in kind work for Democratic candidates, uh, or is someone like Biden, who has been vice president and ha has had this long career, is he one of the only candidates who could get away with sort of those sorts of attacks on um, a sitting president? 
Well, I, I don't think first. I don't think anybody can respond in the same kind in the same way that Donald <laughs> Trump does. He has a style. He has yeah. a style all his own, and you know he's he's out there, you know, questioning Biden's health, uh, and and it's the kind of thing that that other candidates just don't do. Uh, but you know, I I think that Trump is you know such an unusual president. He's done so many things that have have made people uh, question his. Uh, uh, you know, his fitness for office that, you know, I think that inevitably is is going to become uh, a part of any Democrats campaign. Uh, but I, but again, I, I guess I also think that um, candidates need to, to talk about what they're for. And I realize that Democrats are very animated by wanting Donald Trump out of office. But, uh, you know, I, I think we've seen by the rise of, of Elizabeth Warren in the uh, uh, in the early polls that putting out substantive ideas uh, is a way to get noticed and is a way to get excite, people excited. It's a way to move up the ladder. Mm-hmm. Todd, it's interesting that both uh, Biden and uh, Trump invoked Barack Obama, Biden, to praise his character and um, pretty much say he was the greatest president ever. Trump, uh, not so much. Is this um, personal or are both men really doing this to appeal to their bases? Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's part of it. I mean, you know, President Trump has made it a point of trying to roll back most of the accomplishments that Barack Obama counted as during his eight years. He's been a lot of executive orders and, and legislation and stuff to sort of get rid of environmental rules and the and the Affordable Care Act and and all of those sorts of things. And of course, Biden was Obama's vice president, and and Barack Obama is still pretty popular among Democrats. So I think. He'll invoke the memory of that to appeal to those folks. But I think, you know, relitigating the Obama years is going to be reminiscent of the last election when we relitigated the Clinton years. And I think that sort of plays into the hands of several of the Democrats who are basically saying, let's not look back, let's look forward, let's talk about what's next. And so I think the more Joe Biden talks about Barack Obama, though understandable given Obama's popularity, I think that sort of points out that problem that you know, that maybe Biden's uh, agenda or, or Biden's campaign is more about going back to 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 those days and not preparing the country for for the future, which which I think Elizabeth Warren and and several of the other candidates have sort of made that case. Isn't there a danger there for Biden too? In in that we keep hearing these stories that uh, Obama has met with this candidate, or he he really likes Pete Buttigieg, um, or he's you know advising somebody. If he doesn't endorse, <laughs> I mean, pretty much endorse Biden, it's it hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, and I'm I guess I haven't kept up on it uh, closely, at least that aspect of it. I haven't heard what whether uh, Barack Obama said he won't endorse or. He's going to stay out of this. I don't. I think he's kept a fairly low profile at this point. Uh, I think if he doesn't endorse, I don't. I'm not sure what that means. I mean, it may just be perceived as someone a heavyweight sort of staying out of this big battle. But if he were to endorse somebody else, yeah, that would that would be pr- a pretty bad news for the Biden campaign. There's no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, stop me if you've heard this one. 19 presidential candidates walk into a bar. Okay, it was not a. It was a ballroom, not a bar, but there were 19 candidates for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination in one place in Cedar Rapids last Sunday afternoon. It didn't seem as if any of them hit a home run. Some of them had extra base hits, and I don't think anybody uh, um, 
struck out, and, uh, and there really were no beanballs either. I guess uh, this Democratic field is leaving that to President Trump to uh, take that route. Based on what you've heard and read uh, from the Iowa Democratic Party Hall of Fame, Thomas, um, did anyone or, or anything stand out uh, from this uh, cattle call? Well, I, I think overall there was a lot of interesting little little pieces going on. I think there was a on Twitter there was an interesting. Uh, all the candidates came into Des Moines, uh, you know, uh, for Pride, and uh, during that time, I think someone stated that Kristen Gillibrand won that when she went uh, appeared at uh, Blazing Saddles, which I think is co- uh, considered a gay bar in uh, Des Moines and was handing out drinks and bartending from there. So that was kind of an interesting moment, and she certainly uh, kind of resonated there, which is which is good for a candidate that hasn't necessarily grabbed a lot of headlines. Um, another person who I think kind of came out uh, and really made, you know, especially cons- uh, considering that they haven't perhaps gotten the uh, – they're, they're come out and uh, – they're deciding to run, didn't get the most press coverage or didn't get the most positive press coverage was Bill de Blasio. I know when he was in actually Waterloo, uh, prior to the the uh, Hall of Fame, he actually made a pretty big splash with some folks here uh, when he w- appeared at the uh, Mount Carmel uh, Church. And um, he, he and uh, both him and Beto O'Rourke were both at the church at the same, you know, basically one after the other. And in talking to people after the service, de Blasio made a larger impression on those folks that attended the service than Beto O'Rourke. So I think, you know, we had one person's 15 minutes of fame and and then another person's 15 minutes of fame begin. And so I think that was most of kind of what came out of this weekend. A lot of people had about, a lot of candidates had about 15 minutes of something kind of interesting happening. And then uh, the next one uh, took over, it basically like an extra 10 minutes to what they were given over at the Hall of Fame. Interesting. Uh, it, was, it was interesting. After the Hall of Fame event, um, de Blasio did media for about a half hour um, with New York media, uh, not local media or Iowa <laughs> media. But uh, there, he, he spent about a half hour doing serial interviews with these folks from uh, New York TV huh. stations. Um, they were very interested in everything he had to say, and, and he you know, got his wife in there to answer some of the questions, I guess, and they were tag-teaming or something. But, yeah, it, it was sort of interesting to watch this. Uh, um, I, and I, I can't say whether anybody else was interested in Bill de Blasio other than the, the New York media that was there. But, Thomas, uh, given the size of this field, and we're seven months away from the caucuses. Uh, do you think this sort of an event with all the candidates there uh, has impact on the race? Not at all. Uh, it's too, I don't think it, none of them had any chance to make any major policy position changes. Uh, I mean, outside of kind of coming to meet some of the, some constituents in Iowa prior to the caucus, they, they didn't, there wasn't really anything to stand out in. And I don't think there's any candidate who's who's uh, running right now who really has a message that's uh, that's getting out there and being more uh, more coverage or or getting more traction than anyone else's. Uh, I think overall, most of these candidates all are kind of seemingly on the same page, except for some policy disagreements, like slight policy disagreements. 
and their major message is, let's defeat Donald Trump in 2020. Mm-hmm. Ed, it, it struck me that the Hall of Fame event seemed a bit like watching a World Cup soccer match, three hours of activity without anyone scoring. Uh, do you expect the gloves to come off in the, the DNC debates later this month uh, to give us a better idea of the differences between these candidates as well as who's a contender and, and, and which candidates should uh, think about running for the Senate? We're all about the sports metaphors this morning, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about the Hall of Fame. Well, I, and, and I would say it was no uh, – I'd just add to it. It was no, uh, it was no U.S. Thailand. Uh, <laughs> that was for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I mean, I think the, uh, the debates are the place um, where if, if you're going to see the gloves come off, that um, they're most likely to happen. I mean, I, I think there will be a big audience for those. These fundraising dinners, I don't think, are the place, you know, for those kind of things. Um, but the debates, too, I think these early ones, um, the ones that come at the end of the month, are going to be, I think, pretty unwieldy affairs. I mean, 10 con- candidates on each of two nights. Uh, you know, we found out that 20 qualified. Uh, I think it's going to be hard to break through, but, you know, some of the candidates who are down in the polls, they, they need to do something, if for no other reason than to get the kind of attention they'll need to qualify for the next series of debates. Um, so, you know, I, I, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there were some candidates who, uh, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure some candidates will, will try very hard to break out, but I, I would think that that would likely come more in the form of trying to be unique in how they present their own case as opposed to taking on somebody else. Um, you know, I, I do think that Joe Biden has to prepare for being a target. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, and I think a lot depends on who's on stage with one another. And we won't find that out, I don't think, until later today. Mm-hmm. Moving back to uh, Iowa politics, uh, things just don't seem to be going Steve King's way. The Western Iowa Republican who has been under a cloud ever since his own party stripped him of his United States House committee assignments, uh, which I guess is sort of an in-school suspension. Um, you know, he's, he's trying to get back into class, but uh, <laughs> without much success. Uh, and it got worse this week when King's friend, uh, President Donald Trump, visited Iowa. Brett, apparently the president and King are no longer BFFs. What's, what's happening Right. Uh, as you cited before about Trump coming to Iowa, um, what it was is uh, he came Tuesday uh, or bound, was bound for council bus to, to air that his administration would allow the um, uh, year-round sales of what we call E15, the, the brand of ethanol that's made with corn from uh, from Iowa, which is uh, a big blend that a lot of people uh, in the ag community push here in Iowa. And um, Trump's Air Force plane was was headed to Iowa, and there were two. The two U.S. senators were on there. Grasslanders were on the flight, but but King, uh, but not King. He's the he was the sole Republican congressman, and you could see why he might be. But um, and this all came from reporting by CNN, and we at the Journal we sought to find out why uh, why he'd been snubbed, but um, King's team uh, didn't didn't reply to our to our inquiry. Um, so yeah, I mean King's been a big supporter of Trump or BFF, I guess you called it, and. Um, He's out with a fundraising appeal um, email this week that where he criticizes never Trumpers and he bashes rhinos, such, uh, Republicans in names only. And that and in that he's including his Republican opponent Randy Feenstra. Um, he's one of the three Republicans trying to beat King in the primary. So, so yeah, being such a vocal supporter of, of Trump, it, it it's a little curious that he wouldn't let let King on the flight. Um, 
and again, we don't we don't know if this is because of King being stripped from the committee assignments um, in January after the New York Times on white supremacism. And I mean, uh, when you look at it, Trump, you know, Trump is no stranger to controversy. You know, controversy <laughs> after controversy for his remarks, and you know, just like Steve King, that you know, they they both they both cite fake news, they cite media bias for being out to get them, and and you know, in this case, we don't. You know, frankly, no Trump's reasons. You know, maybe the Air Force One was full, but but no one's explaining why. But um, I guess you know, just to, to kind of put a point on it, you know, King, King, you know, he has to be wondering why, you know, why this support, this longstanding support for Trump didn't, you know, didn't get him a plane ride in this case, or or maybe as we've talked about in past past podcasts, you know, maybe is 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 he thinking about well, you know, is this are things coming home to roost for things that I've said? And, and, and maybe that's, maybe that's a message he gets, but sorry, I don't, I don't have any definitive reporting to give an answer on that one. Maybe, maybe the president feels threatened by Steve King, you know, that King says things yeah. that are more outrageous than the president does. I, I don't know. You know, maybe uh... <laughs> it's a competition. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps King and, and Cindy Axney can console each other. She, Axney said she was invited to uh, attend the event in uh, Council Bluffs, and then at the last minute was disinvited. So I guess they can console each other about the, being snubbed by the president. But uh, the presidential snub isn't King's only problem. Uh, he has problems closer to home, doesn't he, Brett? Right, and and before and then you know again as we talk many times here, is, um, you know there's a field of Republicans running against him, and which includes Feinstra. We have um, former legislator Jeremy Taylor. He's from Sioux City, and Brett Richards, and you know they're continuing to move through Iowa, making a case for themselves. And um, well, um, Taylor actually has taken three weeks off for uh, military. Um, he's in the reserves and is taking his trip trip uh, annual um, stint overseas, but he'll be back in a week and. Um, from that that fundraising email I said it earlier, you, you can see that King views Feinstra as his as his chief rival, and, and it, it's kind of curious because for, for years King's King would never he would never even mention his Democratic opponent um, by name when he was winning all these easy reelections, and so now he's at least somewhat changing that practice by by at least in this email um, fundraising appeal he's you know citing Feinstra, and um, you know. He, Feinster has been the fundraising leader. Um, we saw that in the first quarter. He got about four times as much money as King. So um, the big the associated news, I guess, re regarding Feinster is that he announced um, that he's stepping down as the chairman of the um, the Iowa Senate Ways and Means Committee, which, you know, it's a very important committee that deals with finance, and it's a very, um, you know, wanted or sought position that, that people consider to have to be very powerful. Um and so he, but he's not that he's doing that to um, to give more time to to, to beat King. And um, you know that there's another indication that Feinstra is um, obviously going to be competing hard is, is stepping aside from that. And one one other piece that that arose here is as again we've talked <laughs> several times, um, Steve King this year is doing a, a different practice in that he's actually holding town halls throughout the the congressional district and. Um, we just and we we just found out, um, and he's been holding about three, four a month. He's up. He's about a third of the way through the through the process. And his latest, which will be tomorrow, is going to be in Sioux County, which is a highly Republican place. So he'll be going to pretty, I would think, pretty um, happy grounds for him um, as he 
continues to campaign and move forward. Sioux County, of course, though, is uh, Randy Feenstra's county, isn't it? Isn't that where he lives? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or, or maybe Lyon. I, I can't remember. If, I think. If, um, no, I think Hall if, is in uh, Sioux County. Hall. Yeah. So, is it okay? Yeah. yeah. It's northern. Okay. I'm sorry. I, sh- I should know that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, right. That's okay. Todd, um, th- I mean, this is a fourth district Western Iowa contest. Um, but this whole race, and, and I mean, Steve King has sort of, I don't know, captured the attention, I guess, of, of Iowa people who follow politics in Iowa, Democrats and Republicans alike. It's sort of a spectator sport, I suppose, over here in eastern Iowa. People talk about this race. Um, not that that has any impact on the outcome, I guess, but um, it is just sort of this, I don't know, spectator sport, I guess, for, for well, us over here. Well, I mean, Steve King has made a spectacle of himself, so <laughs> I guess it would become a spectator sport. But, I mean, you know, the, the, the question remains, you know, what, what's the Republican primary going to look like, uh, whether it's going to remain. I mean, you're going to see all the folks that say they're running are going to run. Is that going to split anti-King votes in some way that he ekes out a victory or it goes to convention where I guess there's some – notion that he might have an advantage, although who knows. I think Randy Feenstra is pretty well-liked among among the Republican activists in the base. But, I mean, that's, you know, he he's definitely getting out there into his district and having these town halls, which I think is probably a good idea and maybe something he should have been doing sooner to sort of build up some goodwill when inevitably all of this stuff came would, would catch up with him, which it has. Uh, I mean, it's only been 20 years of crazy statements, so I guess that shows you how long you can get away with it. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, he's he's in the crosshairs now of a lot of political problems, and the fact that the president wouldn't give him a ride in the plane is just the, the latest sort of twist, and uh, I guess we'll just, we'll see if the if uh, Western Iowa voters will give him a ticket to fly back to Washington or whether he'll have to go back to the earth-moving business. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and J.D. Scholten, who ran against King uh, two years ago, is talking about running again and presumably would have a lot of support, maybe even more support than he had two years ago because he ran such a strong race. Um, uh, yeah, uh, King, like you say, it, it, <laughs> everything's coming home to roost. And, and I can imagine the campaign ad that, you know, if, if you're so outrageous, if you're so, out of, you know, so bad, awful, that you, the president won't, <laughs> <laughs> won't let you ride on his plane. Uh, why, why should, you know, 4th District voters support you? Um, there, you know, I'll, I'll take my royalties for that ad. So. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Backdrop will take us out today. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file. And remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Thomas, Ed, Brett, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening.
Yeah. <laughs>